Thank you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 will be our text this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm so glad to see you. I'll have to admit, I, uh, I did an embarrassing thing this week. Uh, I went back and watched last Sunday's church service. And I had to, have you ever had to watch yourself? And, and you know, that's just embarrassing. Yeah, and it, and it just, uh, it, yeah. I realized that when I was referencing uh, the Denver Nuggets and uh, their player, uh, Jokic, that uh, just wanted to get back home, I said he wanted to go home to Siberia. He doesn't live in Siberia. He lives in Serbia. Nobody wants to go home to Siberia. Good grief. What are you thinking? Now, how many of you caught that? Nobody? So why am I even talking about it? <laughs> Nobody was listening. Okay, maybe, maybe that's a trouble, right? But that was embarrassing, and I, I had to laugh at myself, all right? And I say that just so maybe you'll pay attention because you're probably going to find something else to laugh at me about. All right, so that just, that's just, someday ne- somebody needs to write a book about the stupid things pastor says from the pulpit from time to time, all right? I thought there'd be an amen to that one for sure. Thank you for being here. So Lori and I had the privilege of going on our sabbatical back in May. And we had a chance to go on a cruise. It's probably one of those once-in-a-lifetime things that we got to do. Um, I, what do you do on a sabbatical? I mean, you're not supposed to write. You're not supposed to study. You're just supposed to rest and be, be together with you and your wife. And, and how do you do that? So somebody said, go on a cruise. And so we did that. And we went down to Florida. And, and the, the first place that we stopped was in Nassau, Bahamas. And that was, that was a beautiful place. And uh, we, uh, we stopped there, and, and just so we had a balcony view up on the 12th uh, deck. We were in. So this is a view that you see on the screen out from our deck there on the cruise ship. And it's looking across over to what's called Paradise Island. And there's Paradise Beach right there as well. I thought that was beautiful. A lot there to do. So many, so many people so excited to be able to get there to paradise, right? But right across the bay from us, maybe the distance from here over to the apartments across the street here, uh, there was this view. Just, just out, from my, out from our deck, we saw this. I don't know if you can zoom in on that, any, Denny. I didn't ask you ahead of time, but that is a mansion that has been absolutely destroyed sitting right there on the beach. And... Something went wrong. It's called a hurricane went through there and ripped that thing to pieces. It was no longer paradise, was it? Um, in California, a number of years ago, four or five years ago, 2018, was it? There was a massive wildfire that went through paradise, California. And that place, in a matter of just minutes, burned up. And people were running for their lives. Many did not make it out. And the whole place was burned to the ground. Paradise was lost. Now, there's a method to my madness this morning. 
in our series about heaven that we're doing through these summer months, these first few weeks of the summer, as we step away from our series on Mark just for a few weeks, uh, I, I have some goals in mind. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that it will help us to find perspective and purpose as we go through the trials of life here. And the way we do that is by comprehending the truths revealed in Scripture, assuring us of God's, pro- of God's promises for there, for heaven. In Colossians 3, we saw that there was an admonition for us to, to set our minds, set our affection on things above, where Christ is. So have our focus on Him. He's seated at the right hand of God. Set our minds on these things. Uh, in in uh, Matthew 25, the parable of, of the talents, last week we were looking at anticipating our home in heaven and our work there. And to, to enter into the joy of the Lord, uh, when we've been faithful in a little, we, we will be set over much. There will be much work to be done in God's kingdom. And we talked about that. Today, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm hoping that you will apprehend grace on a whole new level. We were just singing about this. We will see him face to face have a whole new understanding of God's grace. God's grace is sufficient in time of need. Amen? Uh, where is that? Where's that verse? It's here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Look down at verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power or my strength is made perfect or completed in weakness. And he says, therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Now, a little bit of context here. There must have been some sort of a conflict going on with with other big name ones who were boasting and, and, and trying to say that Paul wasn't all that he was cracked up to be, so to speak. And so Paul is saying here, I don't have any reason to boast other than the fact that I'm weak. Hmm. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Amen. So, again, what is the context of this comforting truth of God's grace being sufficient so that we have strength even though we're weak? The context is heaven. The context of this comforting truth is a conversation about paradise. Paradise. How much do you think about paradise? So let's read the text here, verses 1 through 4 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. I must go on boasting, Paul says. Again, this is context here. He's got this conversation going with these others that are boasting, and and how does he keep up with that? Then he says, though there is nothing to be gained by that, by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, that's something that Paul really didn't know about. Just go back and read his life story. And he understands on a first-hand basis As an apostle, these visions and revelations of the Lord. Then he says this, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I know that this man was caught up. You underline that? Those two words, caught up. He was caught up into paradise. Would you circle that word? Paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows, and he heard these things that cannot be told, which 
man may not utter. What he saw was beyond description. May I say it this way? It was better than you could imagine. Heaven is better than you could ever imagine. So what did he mean by this word paradise? And why did he use that here in this paragraph of him describing what he saw in this third heaven? After this text that we have here in verses 1 through 4, he goes on to speak of a messenger of Satan buffeting him. And he calls it a thorn in the flesh. And it's constantly attacking him. And and we don't know what that thorn in the flesh was, but we know that for three different times he asked for it to be removed, and God said no. Three times God answered no. (sighs) Have you ever asked God to remove a thorn in the flesh? And God said no. A problem, a health difficulty, uh, maybe it's, it's something that you're dreading that you don't want to have to face. Maybe it's a heartbreak. Maybe, maybe it's a child that's gone astray. And, and you keep on praying about this, and, and God's answer is still no. You're still going to have to bear this burden. It's a thorn in the flesh. I, I don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. It could have been physical. It could have been something very discouraging that was, he was working through. Yet God's grace was sufficient, and that's what Paul was focusing on. God's grace was sufficient in this time of need. And here's the point. What you know of the realities of paradise will help you apprehend God's grace in the time of trial. Now, let me say that again. What you know of the realities of paradise, it's a reality. It's not just a fantasy. The reality of paradise will help you apprehend God's grace in the time of trial. And you will go through times of trial. Either you're entering one, you're in one, or you're just getting through one. But you're always going to be going through trials. It's part of life. But knowing heaven helps us to get through that. As Philip Hughes states in a commentary that he wrote on 2 Corinthians, addressing this reference to paradise here in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, he says, Paul was thereby fortified to endure patiently all the severe sufferings which awaited him in the prosecution of of its ministry. Thus, he was enabled to reckon that the suffering of this present time The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall at last be revealed to every man in Christ. He was fortified. He was enabled. That's what the word grace means. God giving you the ability to handle what's coming your way. He was enabled to reckon that the sufferings of this present time, there is something better waiting, the glory which shall be revealed. So I'm hoping today that that you'll have a new appreciation for this word paradise. It'll cause you to want to meditate on it and and to dwell on the truths from Scripture about paradise so that you will remain strong in the trials that you face. What you think about heaven will affect what you do today. Paul said he was caught up into paradise. We're going to come back to that little phrase here in just a moment. And he used this word here, 
paradise on purpose. We also know that, that Paul was, was convinced that to be present with the Lord was far better than to remain here. You know where that is? Philippians chapter 1. You want to look there in Philippians chapter 1. Over in Ephesians, Galatians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter 1, verse 23, we read, Paul says, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, which he says is far better, for that is far better. Now, how did he know that? Well, Paul testifies that he'd been there. He'd seen it. And it was beyond description. You couldn't use words. It was better than you could ever imagine. Some think that this may have happened when he was stoned and left for dead. It may have been. The, the timeline on that is difficult to work out. Uh, it may have been much earlier that, in that in, in his ministry during his training time. But we know here that Paul says that it took him a long time to even be able to talk about this. Um, after a long time, 14 years. And he speaks about it in the third person as you see the thought flow and develop here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So what did Paul know about paradise? And why did he use this word right here in this context? That's what I'm searching for. So I'm going to take the rest of Scripture to understand that one word. That's an important part of Bible study, not taking one verse and then using that to change the rest of the Bible. No. We understand one verse by taking the rest of the Bible and applying it to it. That's a very important part of interpretation. Using the whole to interpret the individual. So what does the Bible say about this word paradise? And where did, it, where did that word even come from? Well, as you know, languages develop from other languages and in other countries and so forth. Most of our English comes from other languages, Latin or German or, you know, Greek, a variety of different languages. Well, the, the Persian word, now where is Persia? Kind of northeast of Israel, right? Kind of up in that area. So, and a lot of the history was all connected there. So the Persian word from which the Greek word paradise originated, had the concept of a walled garden. Now, where'd they get that concept? Paradise was a walled garden. Now, this is in Persia. So, the greatest honor a Persian king could give to one of his subjects was to grant him the right to walk with the king in the royal garden as a close friend. Adam and Eve, in the garden, walked with God. Wow. That was their concept of paradise. So, the word paradise... Um, appears in the Hebrew Old Testament only three times uh, in their language. That, uh, and it refers to uh, a park in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 5. So that's the way it's used. Uh, a forest in uh, Nehemiah 
2, verse 8, and an orchard in Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 13. So that's the way that concept is used in Hebrew. Then we come to the Septuagint. You know what the Septuagint is? So 200 to 300 years before Jesus, before the life of Christ, before Paul and, and his life, um, a number of um, language authorities, scribes, worked on translating the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek because that was what most people were reading. It was the Koine Greek. And so they had a translation of the Hebrew Old Testament in Greek. It was called the Septuagint, or that's what we call it. That would have been the scriptures that Paul would have had at his hands normally as a, in, in their day. That's what they used. The Greek word is parodios. So it's spelled P-A-R-A-D-E-I-S-O-S. Very similar to our word paradise. So that's the origins. So this is what Paul would have read where the word paradise is used in their Greek translation of the Old Testament. So this is the concept that he's using, this garden to walk with the king as a close friend. And he's reading it in three references in the very beginning of his Old Testament scriptures. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, the Lord set out or planted the paradise of God, the garden. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, we read that God put him in paradise, to work and keep it. Isn't that cool? And then in chapter 3, the Lord sent him out of paradise. So that's Paul's understanding of this word as it relates. In the Greek New Testament, the Greek word for paradise only appears three times in the New Testament. Uh, you remember when Jesus spoke to the thief on the cross, Jesus said to him in Aramaic, but he said in our Greek translation of that, he said, today you will be with me where? In paradise. Uh, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, Jesus tells the church in Ephesus that they will be granted as they endure, they will be granted to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Hmm. And we read later in Revelation 22, it states that the tree of life is in paradise. We know that the tree of life is in heaven, in the new Jerusalem. We know that the tree of life was in the Garden of Eden. This is incredible. So paradise is where God is that he determines to be what we know of as heaven. Now, think back to the Garden of Eden. What made the Garden of Eden so great? God was there. We were made to be where God is. In the presence of God, the Shekinah glory, it will be glory. So then... The third reference in the New Testament is here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 
where Paul says he was caught up into paradise. He's describing something that is really important to understand, even though we can't understand it all. But his understanding of that helped strengthen him for the journey that he had that was full of trials. So with that in mind, Paul speaks of being caught up to the third heaven, referencing paradise. Everywhere we went on our trip to Florida and around, we saw things named paradise something. Have you ever noticed that when you go to Florida? Everything's named paradise. Uh, You can get paradise shoes. All right. You can go to a restaurant named paradise. You can go to a nail salon. Let's name paradise nails. Oh, wow. Can't be happier. Uh, you can go to the Bahamas to Paradise Island and to Florida to Paradise Island, other places. You can watch a variety of shows named Paradise Something. There are, there are even Paradise Boxer Shorts. I don't get that. You, you, could, you could go to a tobacco store called Smoker's Paradise. Oxymoron. Okay. You can even live at Paradise Assisted Living. Uh, I think something's missing there. So that's illustrating the fact that we use that word, but it's not measuring up. The dictionary defines paradise as a place of complete happiness. You were made, my friend. You long, my friend, for that kind of happiness. Don't miss out. I'm not talking about earthly, sensual, short-sighted happiness like these places called paradise. You were made for a place with God in His presence where you couldn't be happier. Our text here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us where we'll find it. Paul says, whether in the body, I do not know, or out of the body, I do not know, He does not know whether his body and soul were caught up to the third heaven or whether his soul temporarily went out of his body. I don't know exactly how this is described, but he was caught up. And that word is really important to understand, to be caught up. That's the word harpazo, and it's used here, and it's also used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when we read that the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we will be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the word that's translated rapture. That's where we get that doctrine, and it's understood throughout many places in Scripture. But that's, that's so important to understand that Paul here was experiencing what I believe every Christian at the rapture will understand, to be snatched up into the third heaven, which transcends the first heaven of What we know about is our atmosphere. What is that, like 62 miles of air and so forth, all right? And he was caught up beyond the second, which is what we understand of as space. But what we want to focus on here is the third heaven, God's dwelling place. It's beyond the other heavens. So when Paul says here that he was caught up to the third heaven, he means that he went to the place where God dwells, paradise. He describes the third heaven as the place of the garden where God is walking with his friend. 
This heaven is the abode of God. Psalm 33. The Lord looks down from heaven. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's paradise because God is there and he invites us to walk with him there. And Paul intends us to understand that the word paradise the way that he understood it. Complete happiness in the presence of God. Here, you're not going to have that completely. But there is a foretaste of glory divine. I want to get back to that as we talk about the gospel here in just a moment. Because of the doctrine of sin, there are going to be problems around us here. But we know based on the truth of the word of God, we have something to look forward to that is better than you can imagine. Walking with God as his friend in the garden. So let's wrap up with three observations. Paradise will be as good as the Garden of Eden was intended to be restored. That's the key there. It's going to be restored. Randy Alcorn in his book Heaven says this, We long for a return to paradise, a perfect world where the corruption of sin, without the corruption of sin, where God walks with us and talks with us in the cool of the day. It will be restored. Know that. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Second, paradise will be the personal reality, the personal experience of happiness in the presence of the Lord. That's what will make it so much different. We will be restored to what God intended His creation to be, for us to be with Him where He is. You know that just about every year, I'm going to say to you somewhere along the line, you need to read Pilgrim's Progress. Well, here we are again. You need to read Pilgrim's Progress. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands how many of you have read it or not. And, um, but you really do need to read Pilgrim's Progress. It's, it's, a, it's a book that's a classic, obviously, but it so much describes the journey of life and what we all endure and if, if you don't get yourself around to reading the whole book, and sometimes reading old books is hard, so you can read it in modern English, or you can read the children's version, or you can, uh, you can even watch a movie about it. But, but you, want to, you want to get to know the story that John Bunyan put together about Pilgrim's Progress. And even if you don't read the whole book, you need to at least read the, the ending to the 10th the stage or the last chapter. It's called The Paradise of God. Let me just read a bit of this last part of the book. The conversation Christian and Hopeful had with the Shining Ones was about the glory of the place. They told them that the beauty and glory of it was inexpressible, beyond words. There, they said, is the beauty, excuse me, there, they said, is Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. We're going to talk about that some next week. We're going to cover Revelation 19, 20, 21, and 22 all next week. Can't wait for that. Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the innumerable company of angels and the spirits of righteous men made perfect. God can do that. That's the whole point of the gospel. You are now going to the paradise of God, Christian, 
and hopeful, you are now going to the paradise of God where you will see the tree of life and eat the fruit that never withers. And when you arrive, you will have white robes given to you. You will walk and talk every day with the king throughout all eternity. Yes, that's what I want. That leads us to the third observation. Paradise will be where I couldn't be happier. Have you ever used that phrase? I couldn't be happier. Well, you finally, you realize that here, (laughs) you, you can't always say that. But there, it will be true. You couldn't be happier. I was speaking with somebody in the nursing home just this last week. She was referencing the fact that her husband had gone on to heaven. And she said, I wonder what he's doing now. I can guarantee you, he couldn't be happier. It's a foretaste of the glory divine. And because of the gospel... We are able to have this foretaste now and know that it will be complete when we're in His presence in person. The psalmist said, in your presence is fullness of joy, right? That's Psalm 16. Uh, Peter addressed that again in his sermon in Acts chapter 2. In His presence is fullness of joy. Christian, you can draw near to the Lord, and He will draw near to you. Because of the gospel, all the barriers are removed. Here's the story of the Bible. Listen to this. God created us. All the evidence really does point to that, whether you want to look at it or not. But there is a Creator, and He created it just as God describes it in the first words of His book. In the beginning, God created. And He created it good. And He created it beautiful and just right. And Adam and Eve were able to enjoy this place with God as they were working for God in his garden. Man and woman, they fell into sin. And there was a brokenness of that relationship. It was messed up. The God who loves them gave a promise that he would send a redeemer, somebody that would buy them out of their mess, out of their bondage, out of their sin, and would pay the price himself so that they can be reconciled and be given the righteousness of God as a gift so that they could have these robes of righteousness and have eternal life. And the whole story of the Bible is about how God did that and how he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and to purchase for us a place in heaven which he offers as a gift of his righteousness for us and we receive it by faith. And the rest of the story is God keeps his promises. Not only did he keep his first promise to come the first time to redeem us from our sin, Christian, he's coming again to restore us to his home in paradise. And you have that promise just like you have the promise of the gospel. One day it will be paradise. This foretaste of glory that we know now in our Christian walk in the presence of God as we open this book and we study Him and we draw near to Him and we pray and we have this conversation and and we listen and we're led by the Spirit and He fills us. That's a foretaste 
of the glory of paradise. I will glory in my Redeemer who carries me on eagle's wings. He crowns my life with loving kindness, his triumph song I'll ever sing. I will glory in my Redeemer who waits for me at gates of gold. And when he calls me, it will be paradise. His face forever to behold. His face forever to behold. Oh God, would you use these words of this truth that you revealed to the Apostle Paul about paradise to encourage us in this world that's so crazy, so wicked, so weird, so, so bad. But you've given us the gospel and you've shown us how you make sinful people redeemed reconciled, restored into your kingdom, into your presence, into your joy forevermore. Lord, I'd ask that if there's anyone here today who does not know you as Savior, that you would show them through your word what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means have a home with you in heaven forever for which we were created. That's why you created us, to be with you. I pray, God, that you would draw us into that truth. And somebody that is not yet a believer today, may this encouraging word about the hope of heaven be something that you put within their heart to long for and to come to you in faith believing. I pray, Lord, that every believer here today would look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and know the joy of the Lord now and understand the reality of paradise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and we'll sing together.